For, me, for many years, um, I've had a can of this sitting on my desk at home. It's a very small, um, three fluid ounces can of multi-purpose oil, three in one. It's called a toolkit in a can, and it's promised to lubricate, cleanse, and prevent rust. And in fact, if you look on the back, it says three-in-one oil has hundreds of uses in the home, on the car, in the office, in the workshop, in the garden, and on the sports field, etc. I looked up some um, reports that people had said, some reviews. One person said, my dad always had a can of this handy. I'm a handyman sort of a guy. I use it for sharpening tools, cleaning wrenches, lubricating shears and hinges. Another said, he's a guitar owner, he has a Fender guitar, he says, Fender recommends three-in-one for all guitars, it works for me. And I don't know if I'll tell you this one, but uh, this guy here says, uh, it's always been used for sewing machines and I use it on my guns and it really works. Um, I even looked up on Wikipedia, and Wikipedia reported that in 1901, there was an advert in the Church Standard magazine which recommended for cleaning pianos, for polishing the wood. So if any of you musicians want to borrow this, you're very welcome. So three-in-one oil has been around since uh, 1894. It's been around that long. Um, and you could argue with its longevity that it is supreme amongst oils and it's totally sufficient for all sorts of jobs. Well, today's passage in Colossians is about someone who's been around a lot longer than that and who is totally supreme and totally sufficient for all needs. In fact, Dick Lucas, who wrote a commentary on Colossians 1, um, here calls it uh, Jesus Christ, Supreme Lord and Sufficient Saviour. Because that is what this passage is all about. It's about Christ's absolute supremacy above all things and his all-sufficiency as creator and redeemer of all. Now, you will have heard um, an introduction last week about the book of Colossians, and the town of Colossae, uh, which is uh, not far from Ephesus, you can see Ephesus there and Colossae to the right. It's about 190 kilometers away in the Lysus Valley. And Paul, the apostle who wrote to the Colossians, didn't even plant that church. One of his offsiders, a man called Tychicus, planted it. Um, and uh, he had heard, Paul was in prison probably around about 60, 61 AD, and he'd heard that this young Gentile church, mainly Gentiles, um, were going off the rails. They had um, either imported or they had allowed teachers to come in and teach them doctrine which was not Christian. And he wrote this letter to them to remind them about the very basics of their faith. He was telling them to keep their eyes on Jesus, the one that they owe their allegiance to because of what he did for them, and not to be drawn away and to think that other philosophies and other teachings can satisfy you and can bring you to salvation because they can't. 
In fact, if you look at Paul's um, verses 21 to 23, this is what he says. He says, And you, Colossians, who are once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. And then he says, If, I underline the word, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Now, verses 15 to 20 um, are that they believe that Paul didn't even write those verses. It's highly likely that that was an early Christian statement of faith. You know how, like, we often say the Apostles' Creed when a person um, comes to faith? We all say the creed. It's like a creed, a creedal statement in fact, they even believe that probably people sung it as a song, rather like in Christ alone. It was a foundational statement about their faith. Now, in these five verses, there are two things that I want to talk about today. First of all, the supremacy of Christ, and secondly, the all-sufficiency of Christ. In terms of the supremacy of Christ, the first thing to note is this, that Christ is absolute supreme as a person. Verse 15 and 19 says this, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, and it pleased, in verse 19, the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. You know, human beings are intrinsically religious. We are because inside the heart of every human being there's a longing for eternity. All religions, apart from four of them, are based on human thinking and systems and philosophies. Man invented. The other four religions, the main religions of the world, are actually based on a person. Judaism, for example, is based on the patriarch Abraham, who lived 2,000 years BC. He died of old age. Buddhism, around about 560 BC, um, is based on the life of Buddha. He died of dysentery. And Islam, which is based on the life of Muhammad, who was around 570 AD, he died of fever. But Jesus Christ and Christianity is based upon a man, Jesus, who claimed to be God and offered himself as the only saviour of the world for the sins of the world. And then to show that he was God, he rose up out of a grave. And he's alive today. You can't talk to Muhammad. You can't talk to Buddha. You can't talk to Abraham. You can go to any country in the world and find believers who can talk to Jesus Christ and hear from him today. So firstly, you could say, and that's why I've got this on my Thing. Jesus is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one. Three in one. Because Jesus said this. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said on another occasion, he said, I'm going to send you another counselor, even the Holy Spirit. In other words, another counselor. He was their counselor. He's the wonderful counselor with the disciples. I'm going to send you another one just like me. And, of course, um, he claimed to be the Son of God. While he was dying on the cross, the Jews yelled at him. He said, you call yourself the Son of God? Well, get off the cross. Jesus is the three in one. 
Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. The second thing about um, Christ's supremacy that we need to understand is that he is Lord over all creation. It says here, he is the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created and that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him everything exists. And thirdly about his supremacy, he is supreme over God's new creation. The church is God's new creation. Could you wave to me if you're part of God's new creation? We're part of God's new creation. When we were born again... We became a new creation, and this he's Lord over the church. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things, that in all things he may have preeminence. So Paul is reinforcing to the Colossians, and he's reinforcing to us when we read this, that he is the Christ of all history. He existed before history we ever know it was, and he will be existing after it. He is the Christ that entered history as a person. He is the God that came into history and entered it and lived amongst us. He is the Christ who established the new creation, the church, to redeem. He is the Christ who will redeem the old creation. This is the Jesus who rescued the Colossians and who rescued you and me so that we might begin a journey of faith. The second thing about Jesus is that he's totally sufficient. He's totally sufficient for every situation in heaven and on earth. Verse 20 reads this, By him to to reconcile all things by himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Notice here that Paul is saying that Jesus, because he's God, is sufficient to redeem not just human beings, but creation itself. For creation was not only created through him, but for him. He isn't going to receive a broken down earth when he returns. In the letter to Romans, Paul says this. He says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So in an age, we've just been looking at um, the season of creation, in an age where there's a terrific awareness about the plight of our planet with global warming and rising sea levels and storms and floods and increasing, um, a decreasing amount of fresh water for us to consume, we need to remember that it is the Lord's creation. He is the one who will redeem it from all corruption. He absolutely loves what he's made. He loves creation. You know, after each day of the creation story in Genesis, we hear God saw it was good. And after he created human beings on the seventh day and creation was finished, it says he saw that it was very good. So as supreme Lord of all, he is therefore the sufficient saviour to the world. And that is why, as Christians, 
we need to also be about caring for creation and renewing the creation for when Christ returns. We're part of that story. But here's the thing. He's also totally sufficient for every human being on this planet. He's sufficient in every way. You know, he has over 150 titles to his name. I've got three. Lorne Alistair Campbell, that's it. I've got a Rev, that's a fourth one. Um, uh, that's about it. Oh, BA, I've got five titles. Um, you know, we, we, we're very limited. Christ has over 150 titles. I remember the story of um, the Bishop of Tanzania, Medimi Mahogolo, in the 1980s. He was flying over to New Zealand to give a talk at the CMS conference, Church Missionary Society. That's the organisation that brought the gospel to New Zealand. And he got onto the plane and he noticed a young man sitting next to him. So he got chatting to him. Very friendly guy, lovely guy, great big African smile and, you know, very jolly. And he, he, says, he says to the guy, oh, you know, what, what, what career have you got? He said, I'm a carpenter. And he said, do you know what? My best friend's a carpenter. <laughs> and he spoke to him about Jesus, the carpenter. That got the conversation going. Jesus is all-sufficient to meet the needs of everyone on the planet. As J. John noted, he's the bread of life so bakers can understand. He's the water of life so that plumbers can understand. He's the light of the world so that electricians can understand. He's the cornerstone so that architects can understand. He's the bright morning star so astronomers can understand. He's the mediator so sports referees can understand. He's mighty God so that weightlifters can understand. He's the advocate so that lawyers can understand. He's the savior so that lifeguards can understand. He's the door so that carpenters can understand. He's the great physician so that doctors and health professionals can understand. He's the redeemer so pawnbrokers can understand. He's the creator so that artists can understand. He's the counsellor so that psychiatrists can understand. He's the hidden treasure so that accountants can understand and the board of managers. He's the teacher so that educators can understand. He's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon so that florists can understand. He's the rock of ages so that geologists can understand. He's the ancient of days so that the elderly can understand. He's the resurrection and the life so the dying can understand. He's the everlasting father, so parents can understand. He's the son of man, so children can understand. He's the true vine, so that wine connoisseurs can understand. He's the righteous one, so judges can understand. He's the pearl of great price, so jewelers can understand. He's the man of sorrowers, so brokenhearted can understand. He's the deliverer, so that courier drivers can understand. He's wisdom personified so that philosophers can understand. He's the word so that actors can understand. He's the king of kings so monarchs and, uh, and, and monarchs and presidents can understand. He's the prince of peace so that hippies can understand. He's the shepherd so farmers can understand. He's the lamb of God so butchers can understand. He's the great high priest so that popes and bishops and moderators and pastors and ministers can understand. He's the Alpha and the Omega, so scientists can understand. He's the way so that traffic officers can understand. And he's the truth so that even politicians can understand. 
Now that's 37 out of 151 titles. I'll give you the rest some other time. But Jesus is the all-sufficient saviour. He is the key to life. He can save us in any of life's situations. It's really worth noting this fact. Jesus can not only save us from our sins and from death, but he can save us in the minutiae of life. He's interested in every detail of our lives. Jesus said to the disciples, he says, every hair on your head is counted. Now, those of you who are a bit bald, you know, the ones on the sides as well. So when we're facing any situation in life, Jesus can save us. Some people say, oh, Jesus is much more concerned with the big problems of the world. He's not concerned about a parking space for more. He's not concerned about an alarm that might go off in the church. He's not concerned about that. I've got a funny little story. I got a phone call from Robin down there um, yesterday around about one o'clock. She said, Lorne, I'm a bit worried to go into the church because um, when we go in and we do the flick-flack thing, the alarm doesn't diffused straight away and I'm waiting for it to go off and I'm so worried what shall I do and I said how about we have a prayer so we prayed that the alarm would go would disconnect straight away because he's the lord of the alarms isn't he so she went in did the flick flack it closed and she sent me a text the alarm closed straight away he's the lord of the minutiae of life I went down to Taupo in in um in June to see my mum and my mum was terribly worried about a gift she was going to give to her great-grandchild who was turning one. She didn't know what to send. She's 90 and people start to worry about things like that, you know. And So I said to her mum, we had breakfast and I held hands. I said, let's say a prayer. Let's let Jesus lead us to a present today. So we had a prayer, got in the car, took off, we had a coffee, and we got out of the cafe and we were just walking down the street and she looked in this window, and there was a beautiful buzzy bee there, and she said, that's it. She hadn't even gone into the shop. So she went into the shop and bought it, and then we went to the little, she said, we might as well go to the children's shop as well. So we went in there, and she found a book with the name of her granddaughter on it. This is Ada. Jesus is all sufficient. What do we worry about? What could we hand over to the Saviour who's all-sufficient? You see, Jesus is not just Saviour, but he's the Lord. And I want to say something about that as I close. One of the problems in the Colossian church was this. Paul was addressing their ongoing life of discipleship. They'd started with a saviour, they'd started with the Lord in their faith. And they were carrying on by bringing into their lives other things that might provide joy, happiness, all those things, other things, other philosophies. They were, they were imbibing of, you know, you must do this, you must do that. You, you, you know, um, you can't eat meat that's got blood in it. All the Jewish rules were coming in. They seem to have forgotten that Christ was not only their redeemer, but their Lord. 
One of the great problems with Christian discipleship is this. Christians love to accept Christ as a saviour, but they find it much more demanding to accept him as Lord of their lives. Do you know that human beings are essentially at heart, we are rebels. We rebel against other people, we rebel against authority, we rebel against all sorts of things. And they don't like other people telling them what to do. This was the problem in the Garden of Eden, the rebellion of humanity. Now, Dr. Roger Wilmore explains for us very helpfully what the lordship of Christ means. Listen to this. When a person yields to the lordship of Christ, he or she acknowledges his ownership and gives up his or her personal rights. We are not our own anymore. We were bought with a price, Christ's very blood. We belong to Jesus. We are his purchased possessions. Yielding to the Lordship of Christ also involves total and unreserved obedience. Wow. In other words, if he is Lord of your life or my life, we will do what he tells us to do. But actually, this is the thing. If we do that, that's when we will find freedom. We will find freedom when we do what the Lord asks us to do. I just love that hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. All, when I looked in the dictionary last time, meant everything. My time, my talents, my money, my career, my family, my words, my possessions, my sexuality, my hobbies, my home, my everything. Just a week ago, you will have seen in the pastoral email, I made reference to Brother Andrew, who passed away at the age of 94 after 70 years of Christian service. He took Bibles into countries which were uh, people were not allowed to have Bibles. You certainly weren't allowed to evangelize behind the Iron Curtain into places like Russia and Romania and places like that. Um, very, very brave man. And he founded a ministry called Open Doors, which now ministers to over 60 countries in the world where Christianity is um, not accepted. This is what he said at the age of 24. He said this, Yes, Lord, I will go. Whenever, wherever, however you want me, I will go. And I will begin this very minute. He lived a life of surrender to the will of God. So Paul was really saying to the Colossians, when the lordship of Christ is settled in your life, all the other issues of your life will be dealt with. You don't need anything else except Jesus. Don't listen to false teachers. 
Don't listen to modern philosophies. Don't listen to those things. All we need is Jesus. And in conclusion, in conclusion, I'm going to ask you two questions. Is there a situation in your life that you need the Lord's all-sufficient salvation? Firstly, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins? Truly, knelt at the cross and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, save me. Secondly, is there a current situation in your life, as small as it may be, that you need to trust Christ for? rather than trying to do it in our own strength. He's sufficient to help you. And the second thing is this. Is there a part of your life that you are withholding from the Lord, an area where he's not Lord? Hudson Taylor once said, if Christ isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. So how about your time? They say that time is the most precious possession we have. How about your talents? How about your words that you speak, your tongue? How about your career? How about your retirement? Is it the Lord's? How about your home? Is it the Lord's? How about your possessions and your friendships, etc.? And I want to leave that thought with you, and I want us to pause for three or four minutes just to sit in silence And as you do that, I'm just going to play a song in the background. And if you need to do business with God, you can do it with him in the pews or you can come and kneel here if you want to. It's just a moment of pause for you to respond to the message.